Hello. Time again for another Throwing Bagels podcast. And the three of us are reunited once again uh, after Chris Douglas had some soccer referee duties. Chris, welcome back. Glad to have you back. Appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, it's good to be back uh, rather than being in 35, 40 degree weather running in shorts. So, uh, and I think I did I introduce myself? I forget. I'm, I'm Kevin. Hi. Hi, Jason. Hey, what's up? How you doing? We are looking forward to chatting with our next guest. And, you know, yes, we typically focus on SUNY Oswego alumni, but we like to go outside the beaten path every now and again. And that is, and once you find out who we're talking to, you'll certainly understand why. So, uh, but since uh, 2019, uh, he's been the play-by-play broadcaster for the Binghamton Rumble Ponies, and it's also called BU Women's Basketball the past couple of seasons, former anchor at WFAN, CBS Sports Radio, and Sirius XM. And just a couple of weeks ago, he called play-by-play for the MLB playoffs, including the World Series for the MLB Network's telecast in India. It's our pleasure to welcome Jacob Wilkins. Jacob, thanks so much for being with us. Kevin, Chris, Jason, I apologize for not being a SUNY Oswego alum. Uh, <laughs> it's a tough weekend to be a Penn State alum, uh, but uh, it's great to be with you. Thanks so much for having me on. It's our pleasure. And first off, congratulations on that opportunity to call MLB postseason games on the MLB network. What what was that experience like for you? Thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate it. It was quite an incredible um, experience and it's hard to believe that, you know, the World Series j- just ended. Is it really the planning for it started around August during our Rumble Pony season um, <clears throat> when, you know, um, uh, our, our friend Mike Ciano came to me and uh, was was talking about this plan that um, Major League Baseball had to broadcast um, playoff games in India. And um it immediately made sense to me. You know, the anal- our analysts who um, were great were in India. I broadcasted the games out of the MLB Network studios in Secaucus. And uh, for them, the, obviously, there's tons of, you know, logistics that have to be, um, you know, it's not just jumping on a Zoom to connect and make sure the broadcast operations work. And there's so many amazing people that are involved in this project. And to, to the depths they go to make sure that it, it runs smoothly. And then once we got to the playoffs, I mean, there's nothing like calling major league baseball playoff games. The energy is just different right from the start and doing the world series obviously is, is, is an incredible uh, bucket list item, but also the wild card series and basically how it worked guys is we had a round or a series per round. I never describe it correctly. I must have, oh. I do it, it's a talk about it 50 times. It's a series per round. So however long that series went, uh, was we were we were sticking with it. So we did Blue Jays Twins. That was an incredible environment at Target Field. I mean, that's one of the loudest ballparks uh, out there. I mean, those fans mm-hmm. were, were, were incredibly into it. And then we did Braves Phillies and... That was, you know, a series everyone was looking forward to. And uh, then Bra- uh, Phillies Diamondbacks, <laughs> for the way that turned out, was, was incredible, um, going seven games. And finally, the World Series. And so just the amount of information you have at your disposal 
um, to sort through on a daily basis. Um, it's, it's like, uh, just riches of, you know, you, you don't know, you have to determine what you're gonna, uh, what you're going to use on the air and obviously incorporating, bringing in a new audience and maybe an audience that's not as familiar with the game. So we also explained a lot of, you know, baseball lingo and things like fair and foul sacrifice flies bunts that, you know, and try to explain it concisely to hopefully bring in more fans and expand the game globally. And, you know, it, it was just an incredible project to be a part of. Did you find that part of it being difficult trying to just educate a new audience uh, that has never maybe watched baseball? They're familiar with cricket. Obviously, it's a, right. a similar-ish. Uh, did you find it challenging at all? Oh, sure. I think it was more that I hadn't thought of explaining some of these things to a friend. You know, it's like, oh, wait, it's a little more complicated to explain. Oh, yeah, it's down the first baseline, but to the right of the chalk, you know, but by the way, if it doesn't pass the bag, then it's still a foul ball. But if it goes past the bag and then goes into foul territory, then it's a fair ball. You know, baseball is so instinctual and you see it and you react. And certainly in a Rumble Ponies broadcast, we're talking to fans that are very locked into the team and the Mets system and the players and the game on an everyday basis. Here someone might be watching their first baseball game, and we certainly – uh, and I left it to my terrific analyst, Tejas Garati. I use Sharma, Manish Batavia to explain more of the parallels to cricket since they announced that on an everyday basis. Mm-hmm. But certainly I was like, oh, I should really, you know, yeah, it's a little harder than I thought to explain. And, you know, watching a game, guys, something new comes up every game, you know, and that we haven't always seen. Um, mm-hmm. And so – I think of game one, I've seen this before, of course, but catcher's interference, you know, that's sort of a complex thing to explain to a fan Mm -hmm. watching, you know, if you were, you know, showing a kid a game for the first time, you know, to explain catcher's interference. And by the way, it's with the bases loaded in game one of the NLDS in a huge spot. (laughs) Um, So those were the things, Chris, that were tricky, but um, it, it felt like anything, um, Hopefully we, we explained it uh, or I explained it concisely or my analyst did a great job. And our producer um, also is very helpful in sort of picking moments as to when it would be a good time to explain something or reminding me, hey, when you explain the runner moving up from second to third, you know, or the sacrifice fly. So, yeah, it was it was it was it was great to, to sort of stretch uh, my broadcasting acumen that way. So you had to go into like excruciating detail, really, to go, you know, basically explain everything bit by bit, you know, and basically play like baseball for dummies, so to speak. You know what I mean? Like someone's reading the book for the first time. Right. I, I think you still try to keep it simple. You know, mm-hmm. you, we're not looking, you know, to, to, I'm not going to be able to explain the whole game in the course of one at bat as Royce Lewis hits a huge two run homer, you know, and we were encouraged to talk about the game you know i think it was tying it into what's happening with the game that's what made it unique rather than just sort of haphazardly going into things and that was where having the live broadcast was the perfect Mm. you know here's something happening in real time let's explain we had it's television so it's not radio so i don't i we can skip a few pitches in explaining what just happened um and 
of course, there's also more just introducing stars of the game, like Bryce Harper, you know, who went off in the, the DS and in, in the first half of the CS and uh, Zach Wheeler and, and just all those players and, and the impact they have. And then, you know, guys like Corbin Carroll, et cetera. I think storytelling, no matter what the audience, if you're telling a compelling story, people are going to be interested. You know, to me, it's it's like if a casual fan was watching the game, you know, you're 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 mm-hmm. telling stories. And uh, the backdrop of this also, backdrop also is Arjun Damala was drafted 20th overall by the Blue Jays this past year. Uh, highest draft pick ever in uh, across the four North American sports for an Indian player. And so we highlighted that as well. And it was cool to have the Blue Jays, even though he's obviously not at the major league level, to have them in the wild card and tie that together. Um, There's some really cool content coming coming out, may have come out already around him. It's funny you, you mentioned the the catcher's interference. Um, mm. I would I would you know venture a guess. There's many a baseball fan out there right now that if there was a catcher's interference during a baseball game that they were at, they'd be like, I have no clue what just happened, you know. Right. And they'd have to be get it explained to them because they wouldn't they wouldn't understand like what do you mean the catcher interfered with the play or something like that? You know, it would just be go right over their heads. Right. And we're helped because it's an MLB. Uh, we're taking the feed, whether it's from uh, TBS or MLB does their own international broadcast of the World Series. And we're getting every angle. So it's a lot easier to explain when you have 10 replays um, or I can opine on it and say, eh, it looks close here. Um, or even on a pickoff, uh, we there was Vladimir Guerrero getting picked off at second in the wild card series that's you know might be unique to a fan seeing a game for the first time but at least from the safe out standpoint the replays are so crisp um you know compared to it's just different in a minor league broadcast by nature our production all the productions do a great job but you're not going to get 10 replays of of a play so we had all the support we could have asked for what kind of feedback have you received about about the games being done in india well, I hope they liked it. Uh, <laughs> um, I think, you know, what's interesting is some of the games were were very early in the morning there. And I, our, our analysts were up very early in the morning. Uh, reminded me of doing some of those old overnight shifts at WFAN. Uh, I mean, vicariously through them. Um, and so, uh, no, I think, yeah, I think it was well-received and um, – Certainly, yeah. I think uh, hopefully, uh, yeah. I think everyone's been been really happy with it. And uh, um, it, again, I just am amazed. Even you know, when when reading the articles, just how many people are involved and and how much hard work is going into expanding the game globally um, through efforts like these. And obviously, there's the games that are happening in London during the regular season. Um, but there's a continued push, and I think it makes a lot of sense to showcase the best games at you know uh at, you know in the postseason games you're not going to see better baseball than that right do you know if that's a burgeoning market like is is india in india is like baseball becoming like bigger there all at a, you know all of a sudden yeah i don't know i'll, I'll defer to the uh the, the the mlb international folks on uh <laughs> on all the the you know the business rabbit uh business uh things involved but uh Hey, you know, I think I think it makes a lot of sense. Obviously, it's one of the largest uh, countries in, in the world. And um, as you said, there, uh, I think, Chris, you know, there's a lot of cricket parallels and things like that. And mm-hmm. so um, I imagine, uh, 
you know, that makes a lot of sense that folks might, you know, might be interested in, uh, in watching some baseball. Yeah. Coming back stateside and going into Binghamton. Yeah. yeah. Um, you obviously are calling the games for, for the Binghamton Rumble Ponies and you called um, the no hitter thrown by uh, Yoander Suarez this year. Yeah. Um, what was that like? Is that the first no hitter that you've called or have you called another, have you called a no hitter before that? I have called. And by the way, just as an aside, um, Jason, it was crazy to go from the Rumble Ponies making the playoffs. You know, we went deeper into our season than we ever have. Um, or not ever, but uh, in, in my tenure. Um, and so, then, and then going right to the MLB, it was like, it was right on the edge of the MLB playoffs. So we were like playing until September 26th or something. And then okay. this all started. So it was like from one playoff season to, to another. Um, but that was the second no hitter. Uh, the first uh, was in 2019, uh, I came on board in May of 2019, which is pretty unique. Usually a broadcaster would start at the beginning of the season. Right. And um, I came on in May. Um, and this is in the days of the three-game series, uh, not the six-game series. And so we <clears throat> um, did a six-game – basically, we started the road trip in Portland – and it was six games in four days. How? Well, all three games in Portland the prior month had been snowed out. Uh, oh, man. So they <laughs> never left the hotel. Love so Northeast. my first series was six games in four days, just trying to figure oh, wow. out what what was going on. Um, yeah, everyone's like, hey, uh, Portland. And I'm like, uh, you know, uh, give me five minutes to like just try to get a game recap out. Um, <laughs> and so then we went from Portland to Harrisburg. Um, and the second game of the Harrisburg series, the Rumble Ponies had not thrown a no-hitter in about 13 years. My poor predecessor, the great Jim Hyman, uh, you know, legendary run nine years you know with with the ponies never got to call a no hitter in my i should know the exact total six, six eighth game harold gonzalez and Ryder ryan combined for a no hitter against harrisburg wow. so quite a run quite a quite yeah. a start on that road trip um and then uh we did have one in 21 but it was sort of a semi post-covid year so we weren't uh traveling um but uh, Josh Walker uh, started it. Andrew Mitchell finished it in Reading, but I didn't call that one. And so this was my second. And it shows you just never know. It goes back to what we were talking about with MLB India. You know, this was the first game of a doubleheader. And we were fighting to uh, – we were in a very good position to clinch a playoff week. The, the Rumble Ponies were in a very good uh, position to clinch a playoff spot. Um but it, so every game mattered, but this was one of those that got crazy with uh, the rain and the weather and, you know, the whole thing in Hartford. And, uh, but Yolanda had gotten off to this amazing start um, and allowed like one hit in, I think his debut. Um, and uh, yeah, he, he, he was on a roll. I mean, he made it look easy. Um, there, there really weren't many plays where, where he was challenged. And so the unique part of that, was to call a no hitter 
and see it build and and build and then the team had to come back on the field and play 30 minutes later with it being part of a double header but it doesn't uh, take anything away from first of all you wonder doing it himself and at the at the same time uh how dominant you know he was um uh and and, and the accomplishment but it was unique in that there wasn't the sort of typical celebration i guess you'd say right and it was a seven inning no hitter right Seven inning no hitter. That's right. That's right. So, um, but he could he could have gone. I'll tell you, Jason. He could have cruised through nine. You know that was <laughs> he had the stuff. Was, that he was pretty much in in control. Yeah. The Rubble Ponies had an average first half of the season and went thirty five and thirty four before the trade deadline, uh, which gave him some new talent that came in, and that set him up for a thirty nine twenty second second half of the season. How big of a factor were those newly acquired prospects, including Luis Angel Cunha and Drew Gilbert, to the team's yeah. second half success? Oh yeah, huge. Well, and a couple of others too, um, Chris. I'd add Jeremiah Jackson in, who mm-hmm. came in the Dominic <laughs> Leone trade. He really was an first of all impressive guy, and a guy that can hit for power. And then we had the unique situation of J.T. Schwartz coming off the IL in the Hmm. summer. And that was almost like a new addition. I mean, JT was great. The first month of the year missed about 65 games due to injury comes back on a tear. Um, And so now you have basically four new guys. Um, And, you know, Luis on the way he affects a game with his speed. Um, I mean, I think we're even seeing, this was just the appetizer, but we Hmm. saw from him. I mean, I think you're going to see the numbers just skyrocket as he gets more comfortable, but, once he's able to get on base, seal second, you know, anticipate a wild pitch at third, he would score on normal ground balls that others wouldn't, um, meaning infields in, you know, they're playing to throw him to cut him down and, and he would still score. Um, and then, but I also think the pitching, which was a constant <clears throat> early in the year, um, <clears throat> excuse me, continued to really dominate um christian scott um blade tidwell uh coming up and then uh tyler stewart um oh. all these guys really were it, it was like we were seeing a deja vu of a guy having an incredible debut <laughs> at the double a level hmm. um and then obviously at the end kevin parada jet williams coming up kevin had a three-run homer in a game uh jet had you know, some big hits, including in the playoffs. Uh, so those guys made a big impact too. And I'd add Rowdy Jordan in that list, who's been with us all year. But it felt like instead of it being, all right, the Rumble Ponies might win this game, it was they're going to win it just a matter of how. You know, they might be down in the ninth, but Rowdy had a big walk-off hit, you know, something like that. So players like that, uh, I mean, a guy like Rowdy Jordan is a big factor too. What was the demeanor going into the playoffs, knowing that Somerset had won both the first and second halves? That's a good question, Chris. You know, it's funny because I'm not sure that there was so much thought given to that. You know, in the it's it's all pretty quick the way it unfolds. I mean, we knew hmm. that Binghamton was going to play Somerset, um, but I think it was less about Somerset winning the first and second half and more to go back to what we were talking about the rumble ponies momentum and how good they were. And so I think everyone include, you know, I don't want to speak for the Somerset folks, but 
when we talked with their folks and their broadcasters, there was a sense Binghamton, I'll give Steve Cusimano credit that he's the voice of, of the Patriots and a buddy of mine. He said when we played them in early August, I think, he's like, we're going to see you again, you know. Um, and he was right. Uh, and that's when things were just getting started with the new additions. Um, but I think it was this sense of that, wow, Binghamton's coming in with a lot of momentum. I think it is more of an objective statement. They had some of the, the most talent. They were compared to a double-A all-star team. Um, and so if, if not the most talented, one of the most talented teams in all the minor leagues. So I think everyone felt pretty good that they could handle or, or, or take on anyone. Now you never know what's going to happen in a three-game series. Um, wow. And certainly not underestimating Somerset, who's always – I mean, Drew Thorpe is a monster. Um, so – uh, but I think there was a sense of uh, confidence, not arrogance, but confidence certainly weren't going to be intimidated going into the series. And so it, it was less about the, the fact that they won both the first and second half. I think that was less of a thought and more, hey, we're just playing so well over the last month. You know, they had won like 16 of 20 games, something like that. You know, it was a crazy stretch. So. It's like any team in the major league playoffs. You know, when you come in hot, uh, the, the world's your oyster. <laughs> and, and baseball is so random like that, too. I mean, especially yeah, getting into right. the playoffs. I mean, it's yeah. crazy. I mean, look what happened at the major league level. <laughs> right. And a best of three, you know, look, I think people, there was a sense, all right, you know, uh, certainly going into the championship series. I mean, Binghamton gets off to a hot start in game one. Erie comes back and wins. That game, you travel to Erie the next day, and they win ten nothing, and that's it. You know, so it's pretty quick. Yeah. Uh, if if you thought the MLB playoffs were quick, you know, I mean, that, I guess the wild card is the best of three too. So it, it's it's most similar to that. As you mentioned, the Rumble Ponies made it to their first Eastern League Championship Series since 2014, lost to Erie in two games. Right, a bit of a disappointing end to the season, but I, I think. Big, looking at the bigger picture, it gave Mets fans a lot of things to be happy about. I mean, what, what were some of your your big takeaways from the 2023 season? Oh, my goodness. I mean, I think you look at this run in the second half. I mean, it was such an incredible team with really great guys. And I'm not just saying that. But, you know, we're around these guys on a day-in, day-out basis. And you're at the batting cage with them. And you're seeing the preparation. And Reed Brignac does a great job. As the manager of the team, he finished his second year um, and the coaching staff put so much effort in. I mean, A.J. Sager named the Mets uh, organizational staff member of the year. Um, Jet named the player of the year. Christian named the pitcher of the year uh, for the Mets. And Hayden Sanger, for instance, we haven't talked about, gets the platinum uh, glove, you know, as the best defender in the system. Um, so there's just so many, and just you just think of different moments. And this was a team that was great in walk-off situations. Rowdy had Rowdy Jordan had three walk-off hits, um, and and I think of guys in the first half, Matt Rudick, who I think is going to be a guy you're hearing from, um, just in terms of uh, his future, um, and uh, really found his power surge this year. Brandon McElwain. I mean, I think of the guys as well mm -hmm. that had were great with us at double A and then went up to triple A and raked Brandon McElwain, Joe Swazi, Wyatt Young. Um, 
Mike Vassell, of course. Um, you know, when you look at the baseball season, it's really sort of different chapters. And that April, May chapter, just, you know, it's a totally different team when you look at what how, the roster by the end of the year. Um, but at each stage, certainly the record got exponentially better uh, in the second half post-trade deadline. But, um, you know, part of the joy of doing this is the stories and, and the players, their development, and to see that throughout the course of the year. And then to be calling games for a team in the playoffs and to, to knock off a team of the caliber of Somerset. Dom Hamill with a, a lights-out yeah. effort. In that final game, uh, that guy, it, he he is tough. Uh, he's got some brasses, as they say. So, um, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, it, it was just incredible. I feel like I'm missing guys, but uh, it was it, it, so many different stories. I mean, Dom, I think at the times he struck out 11 guys three different times, you know, and Matt Levine, my broadcast partner, and I were just, we sort of j- joked, you know, we do, we're, we're the lucky ones, you know, I mean, uh, you don't want to see me hit or, or pitch. I mean, uh, it's our privilege to really call the game. And it's great that, uh, certainly unfortunate in terms of the Mets record, but the byproduct of that was obviously an increased attention on our guys, and they deserve it. And, and that was exciting, too, to be able to uh, see the energy that Mets fans have and passion to follow them along. You mentioned um, a couple of former number one picks in in. Kevin Prada and Jet Williams, yeah. um, they both made it pretty. They they got they went through the lower levels of, of minor league baseball somewhat quickly to get yep. up to Double A already. How successful were they adjusting to with both of them? How how successful were they adjusting to Double A? Yeah, it's funny. I was just reading an article, and Jet I went up four levels. Um, yeah, <laughs> all this year, <laughs> you know, not too bad. Uh, you know, in in the relative sense both came up, I think in mid September. So it was a pretty limited sample size. And as I said, both made big contributions. Um, and I, but I was just reading an article by Tim Healy of Newsday on Kevin today. He caught up with him at the fall league and he just talked about the challenges of struggling hitting for the first time, you know, getting better at throwing. I mean, we haven't talked about the defensive side of the, this equation too, you know, Jet is a guy that seems at 19, he's 19 going on 30 in terms of, and Kevin's great too. You know, they're, they're both very mature, but Jet being only 19, I was just amazed. You know, he's just so cool. So um, mature um, and uh, so good. So uh, I think, you know, but it was still just a couple of weeks and I think it's going to be fun wherever they end up level wise next year, but uh, to, to see them, you know, continue to, uh, to progress. And speaking of both of those, both of those players, right. They, they, they both occupy positions that are pretty much occupied long-term in New York right now, right. You have Francisco Lindor at shortstop. You have Francisco Alvarez at, right. at catcher. Um, has there been any, anything that you've heard of any possibilities of moving them to, to other positions with Binghamton to get them some action to, you know, see if they can adjust to another position? Yeah, I don't know. We're just, uh, you know, I'm just uh, the broadcaster that puts on the uh, the headset, you know. But, and I think by nature it's spring training, some of that gets sorted out uh, as well. But I was going to say on the def- defensive side, you know, I think of a guy like Rowdy Jordan to go back, uh, and I don't get paid by the amount of times I mention Rowdy's name, uh, <laughs> is, uh, is he played second base. He 
which he had done in high school, but he was really a center fielder in college. Um, he's played different outfield spots. Um, so versatility and the way he adapted is, is, was impressive. And so, uh, I think versatility is something certainly uh, that Reed bring the active goals to get these guys reps sometimes at different spots. Um, so they can, you know, it's like, if you're applying for a job, the more skills you have, the better. Right. Uh, so, yeah. One of the things that the Mets really need is help with the starting rotation. Uh, is there anyone, the Rumble Ponies, that might be in the best position to help shore up the, the starting rotation in the near future? Maybe even the bullpen in the near future? Yeah, I, I, and again, I, I don't know. I can tell you about the guys that have really done great with us and mm-hmm. how you know how that fits in the big league picture. That's one thing that you know we stray away from. Uh, it's really you know the Mets' decision of how it right. how it all plays, but. I'll tell you, Tyler Stewart, I mean, these are tall guys, too. I mean, he was just dominant. You know, Blade obviously gets a lot of attention, and he's nasty. And and you talked about Yolander and Dom, and uh, it's, you know, an exorbitant amount of riches that, that the Mets have to play with. And also in the bullpen, you know, there were really some impressive guys. Nate Lavender um, is someone who, who really stood out to us um, early on. Uh, I was so happy to see it talks about talk about how you don't know who might shine. You know, Josh Walker is an incredible story and obviously made his debut. Um, and so, uh, you know, and he was a guy in his later 20s, I think, you know, uh, left hander and a great guy, you know, and he's pitching in Queens. So um, it's always fun to see those stories uh, as, as well. And I think, uh, yeah, we. It's, it, Part of the Rumble Pony success as well was the bullpen and and how much of a role uh, that they played. Uh, Paul Gervais at the end of the year, um, LSU guy, um, but started in North Carolina Junior College. I mean, he got the uh, last out to clinch the the playoff series. Um, and there were just guys that constantly kept on uh, getting getting promoted um, from that standpoint. And again, credit to AJ Sager. So. Um, sometimes those guys have hybrid roles too. the uh, Jose Buteau this year, obviously yeah. was a guy that had had a lot of success with us last year. So that's why it's hard to predict, you know, mm-hmm. in November, what a need might be certainly, you know, to give you guys some context, Justin Verlander made a rehab start with us in May. I don't think, you know, obviously him ending up, uh, you know, with, with the Astros was probably not something most people for foresaw at that moment. So um, that's another uh, thing as well. You just, you just don't know how it's going to shape out. Your job, Jacob with Binghamton, you're the play-by-play broadcaster, but you also wear a lot of other hats. So when you, when you call the final out of the game, what happens after that? What do you do? Oh, you you know what? A lot of it, it's both pregame and postgame. Um, after a game, Matt, my my broadcast partner and an assistant, will write a game recap. Um, but if I'm on the road alone, I'll write the game recap. So uh, folks are always disappointed if they come to visit on the road and they're like, uh, are we leaving? No, I actually have to like write this recap. Uh, <clears throat> I'll meet you at the restaurant. Uh, but um, before the game, like, basically we'll handle, or what might happen is a reporter might want to talk to a player, of course, and we'll set that up after the game 
Um, I deliver box scores at home to both managers and the coaching staffs and just make sure everyone has that. And I do our post game show, obviously on the air, but I'm sort of, that's part of the game broadcast. So that, that all takes up a good chunk of time for the game though. When you're at home, there's a lot more uh, responsibilities. You're almost like a host to the other team. Obviously we're literally hosting the team, but as the broadcaster year, we put out the stat packs, um, or, you know, and make sure that those get to the coaching staffs. Home or away, you handle any media requests there might be. And so it could be a local interview um, where a TV station wants to talk with a player. It could be, you know, a writer from, a, a you know, one of the newspapers in New York that's coming up. It could be a phoner, um, might be something in-house. Uh, so we're we should that, that, and then there's you know events like when we had a big media day in New Jersey actually right after the trade you know Acuna and Gilbert came and Jackson and we did six different players three pitchers three uh, hitters and uh, that was you know an incredible environment to have all these folks out you know and interested in in, in the players so it, it's a little different than just focusing as you said it's all helpful in preparing for the broadcast like the things that are said. In those media day availabilities are certainly things we, you know, can incorporate into the broadcast. But certainly uh, it, the job requires uh, good organization. Maybe I have that. I'm still working on it in year, uh, <laughs> year five, year six. Uh, but also, uh, yeah, everything's sort of building on each other. Like Matt works, my assistant works on the game notes, you know, and that certainly helps in the preparation for the broadcast, you know. We make sure lineup cards are printed for the press box, you know, at home. So there's just a lot of different things that, that might come up. Uh, and then you're, you're trying to get most of them done before you get to the batting cage, because that's almost like a uh, sacred time to be able to lock in. Let's talk about your, your career. So you grew up on Long Island. When did you develop an interest in broadcasting? Yeah, I developed, you know, it really started Kevin pretty early uh, for Maybe up till middle school, I wanted to be a car dealer, and I still love cars. Um, <laughs> you know, I get my Motor Trend. I uh, randomly peek in, in. I don't go inside their cars, but I look inside their windows. You know, what's the center dash look like, etc. Um, but around twelve or thirteen, I was never. I didn't play a lot of sports growing up, but I always was mm -hmm. interested in them. And I don't know when the exact moment that it came together. I, I was always, you know, a good communicator. And so the two sort of married each other. And I got a book when I was in, I think when I graduated elementary school uh, called The Art of Sportscasting. And it's by a guy named Tom Hendrick, uh, I believe, or it might be Kendrick. He's a broadcaster in Kansas. Um, and he talked about uh, Tom Hendrick. Yep. Uh, he talked about how people would go to the games and and broadcast young broadcasters would go to a game and bring a tape recorder and i sort of was like oh that's interesting and even i had read a book but you know not about broadcasting but one of the first books i read was by tim mccarver and the way he broke down the game and i loved it obviously him coming from an analyst standpoint but anyway this book talked about bringing your tape recorder and i started doing that and was fortunate enough we went to yankee games growing up because my dad's a big big yankees fan and 
you know, would bring my tape recorder uh, to the game and do a mock broadcast. And uh, I created Yes Network Radio because I thought that wasn't taken. I was really <laughs> managing the copyright infringement, you know, like they were going to go after me um, for, a, you know, a tape that only I was listening to. Um, and yeah, that became, I, I became incredibly passionate about it. And the, the rest is sort of history and really looked at college with a focus of going to uh, you know, a school that had a good program for that and Penn state certainly fit the bill and always wanted to pursue a career in it. So it just, you know, really built on each other. And I still have that same passion guys, you know, it's, it, it, it's a tough business, no doubt, but 13 years later, I mean, it, it, you talk about, we talked about storytelling with, with whether it's for an, an Indian audience or for a rumble ponies audience, I love the preparation. I love the engaging of players to, you know, find the story and then the actual art of it and doing the game. Um, my, my passion is as, as strong as ever. And so you mentioned you went to Penn State. Yeah. Um, did you think about going to any of or or apply to go to any of those big the big time broadcasting schools or, you know, that big time Oswego State broadcasting school? <laughs> well, I think the Penn State people, they, they view us as a big time broadcast. So. <laughs> I would say so. Yeah. Yeah, just to protect Jason, I want you to be a welcomed on campus. So, uh, okay, I'm a I'm a Michigan fan, so they probably won't like me. Anyway. Oh well, interesting interesting times. I see you got the Michigan game on in the back. Who are they playing? Uh, St. John's. Oh, oh, that's right. The games are the that's right. Yeah, I'm gonna turn that on after we're done. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, I did I did look at Syracuse heavily. I thought I was going to Syracuse from like in my head, you know, we had not spoken <laughs> admissions. I didn't consult admissions on that. Um, <laughs> they didn't get you know, to my mom. Freshman. Yeah, they didn't. And, and, but I looked and actually, uh, yeah, I, I certainly look at Boston university, Ithaca, wonderful program. We have a lot of interns from there with the rumble mm -hmm. ponies, but Penn state just felt like home and was very comfortable with the people and uh, have still maintained those relationships and and uh, very connected to the university and like doing mentors mentoring and you know things alumni based uh, all the time. So um, you know a lot of great you know excellent schools out there. Um, but yeah, certainly my parents knew uh, I, I was I was looking you know I, I was the focus wasn't an issue. You had mentioned WFN earlier yeah. uh, in our conversation. What was that experience like working there? Yeah, it was, you know, I had intern. I obviously grew up like so many, and I'm sure like you guys, listening to the fan and Mike and Dog, you know, mm -hmm. got to put it on in the car when, you know, you're getting picked up from school, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Dog probably, you know, ranting about the Giants or something, but, you know, the San Francisco <laughs> Giants. And I interned with the fan my junior year going into my senior year. And that was, you know, really cool to be around all those people and, you know, always stayed in touch with them. And we were talking off air where I was sort of gotten the fold through 10, 10 wins. And obviously had the prior relationship having intern there, but doing updates for wins led to doing updates at fan. And uh, yeah, it was, it was, you know, it's, I've been lucky in my career to have these sort of surreal moments. Um, and that certainly was one of them. And to be on the air with Mike and doing updates, you know, uh, on a couple of his shows was a thrill. Steve Summers, who uh, we talking about, you know, was a guest on my podcast back when I did it. Um, it you know, legendary figure. 
all those guys. Um, and the fan culture, it's one of those things. Once you're in, you're you're always connected to it. You know, it's not just a place on the resume. Um, so uh, that's what makes the place special. And uh, yeah, it's it's you know, I'm honored to be a small part of their incredible and a very small part of their incredible lineage. Uh, but it's nice to stay in touch. We had a wedding of one of the producers last year, and you know, to see Bob Husler and uh, all the folks, you know mink you know uh it, yep. it, there's just nothing like the fan yeah no those guys you mentioned bob usler john minko had been there for de- decades john yes. minko what recently retired after right. thir- 30 years at least right at, at the, yeah uh in, insane that the, just the number of people that had been there almost pretty much since it started in 1987 and including steve summers and it just the uh, it really is. I mean, Jacob, it is kind of like being in a family where you work there for even just a short while and you keep in touch with people for the rest of your life. So yes. Uh, yeah. And I, and experience. I was there for, yeah, six and a half years. So, okay. And it's, and it's not just the on air, you know, it's really the behind the scenes folks as well. Do you pick up, you know, Eddie Scazzeri, who you hear is sort of an on air fixture on the morning show, Boomer and Geo, one of the kindest people I know, incredible yep. uh, person. So, yeah, it's always it was nice to get back there earlier this year and just to visit and catch up with the folks. So, you, from your experience at WFAN and and all their sister stations down in yep. New York City under Odyssey, the Odyssey umbrella. Yeah. Um, what led you to uh, work at the Binghamton Rumble Ponies? Good question. Yeah, I I was doing updates for FAN and Sirius XM. And always doing play-by-play as well. And that was always the goal, to be doing play-by-play. And obviously, mm-hmm. I never took for granted the platform that I had, you know, at FAN and all, all those stations, you know, and serious with MLB Radio and working with Dog. You're, you're doing updates with for Dog Show was, was amazing. Um, but I always wanted to do more and more play-by-play and really make that the full-time. And that was with the full support of, the folks that that were there, you know, Eric Spitz, who's now at Sirius XM, Mark Chernoff, who was a longtime program director, you know, who was also part of that fabric of the station. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, they were fully supportive of me sort of looking around and, you know, I'd go to the winter meetings and more for, you know, just networking purposes. And this opportunity came about, you know, in a very different way and wasn't looking and, you know, my, um, my predecessor, Tim, he now works, you know, for Binghamton University and all that. But uh, he was, you know, uh, leaving the position for for a different job. And, uh, you know, the, what is it like? Good timing and, you know, preparation, you know, sets you up for uh, luck is the residue of uh, like, heart, you know, preparation or whatever. Mm-hmm. So you're looking, looking. And then I figured in 2019, well, nothing had really come about before the season. So. You know, I figured maybe I'd try to find something summer league. Why, you know, still you had the New York Penn League and that sort of thing. And I had done minor league baseball in the New York Penn League for the Hudson Valley Renegades right out of college. But this came about and, and it was pretty much a no brainer. You know, I'm going to be the lead guy, you know, and, and do all the games and uh, travel with the team. And so uh, I think I, you know, I was offered the job on a, a Wednesday and then two weeks later I was, you know, up there, you know, accepted the job like that day. It all happened very quickly. Uh, like, you know, it wasn't some extensive, 
uh, they didn't know what they were getting into with, with me. No, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, but yeah, it all happened very quickly. And I knew Binghamton is, you know, growing up in Long Island, a lot of my friends went to SUNY Binghamton. So it wasn't like I wasn't aware of the area. Um, and so it seemed like a really good fit um, in that sense as well. It has been. Um, but yeah, it was like, then it, that's, you know, I've been there. That was uh, back five years ago in 2019. And obviously a lot has happened in the world with COVID and all those, you, you know, and, and the changes in baseball. But uh, it's it's been more than I ever could have imagined as we enter, uh, I guess, year six next year. Uh, you said you called um, Hudson Valley running games games after you graduated college. Uh, did you call games in college? And and how did you fall? How'd you get into that? How'd you get into that role? Yeah. And that goes back to when you're looking at a school. And I think this happens. I mean, you're, you're sort of interviewing the, obviously you have to get in, but you're interviewing the school as much in a way to know what opportunities might be there. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as they're telling you about the school. So one of the appeals of Penn State and the program's grown tremendously from when I entered there in 2006, it was already growing then, was there was an opportunity to get involved very early in Com Radio, mm-hmm. it's called, which is the student state radio station, and it's on the internet. And so, but there was still enough that wasn't sort of fully complete where, for instance, we didn't have a football pregame show that was extensive. And there was the ability to create one, you know, where we could have, all these guests on and Brent Musburger and like, you know, it's just by, it was amazing, you know? Um, and, but the, there's a center for sports journalism there. And, but most importantly, you have um, just so many sports that you can announce. Some of my first games were volleyball games as a freshman. Um, and then I did, you know, softball, you know, and it's even grown now where the students are involved so much in, Big Ten student U, or I think it's called Big Ten Plus now, where it was just starting at the end where I did a few wrestling matches that aired on Big Ten Network, you know. Uh, so it, it, now if you go in, you know, Jason, and you're not taking advantage of those opportunities, you're probably behind. Uh, <laughs> so uh, that that's one of the big, big appeals. And obviously a folk, for folks interested, and I hosted a show in college too, so I always enjoyed interviewing. But if you're interested in the sports talk host route, there's that avenue. Um yeah, there was there was um, you know we we traveled the station travels still for football games, mm. um, so uh, there there it's really a matter of the opportunity combined with obviously the internships you know which is a big part in you know developing the relationships but to have an operation like Penn State Athletics and to be able to interact with those people on a day to day basis was you know was was invaluable. Right. Um... You hosted a podcast called Let's Talk a few years ago, yeah. um, which covered, you know, covered topics, including sports media and mental health. Yeah. Um, what did you take away from that initiative and what what brought you to that podcast? Yeah, I think I I had always, again, the interviewing part really always appealed to me. And so um, it was a way to do more of these sit down interviews, um, you know, someone like Steve Summers to really mm-hmm. talk with them. And I always found career path to be interesting. Um, and so uh, that was the, the sports media part. And then I always found the, the mental side of sports or folks overcoming adversity or resilience to be a particular interest. So I interviewed Brett Gravitt, um, who, you know, was, was paralyzed in an accident, but was a men's soccer player. Um, 
and uh, you know, would talk with Prenny Kuznarek, who's been open about depression. Um, and those were just interesting topics and more just paths of players and, and coaches and staff members. Um, and so, um, you know, that was th that sort of like, a, I always say a different muscle in my brain, the interview muscle, which I really enjoy, you know, calling a game. It's almost like the Saturday night party. You know, it's just it's action. It's it's interviewing. It's like the Sunday brunch. It's reflective. It's, you know, um, it, it's a little calmer, you know, but. Um, yeah, so that was just a way to to do that, and um, you know, would certainly have always been interested in doing you know more of that. Now, well, now that you've been in the Binghamton area for the past several years, uh, was it an easy adjustment to make from from New York City area to upstate New York? Yeah, it's it's you know it's different and in, in, in a lot less traffic upstate. You know, being back downstate, man, oh man. I mean, we were just I was talking with we're trying to coordinate Thanksgiving, and it's like to get from New Jersey to Long Island. It's like uh, you know, my mother's saying they now they now live in Florida, but they're still talking New York traffic. Uh, <laughs> like you got to leave early. It's like okay, we get it, you know. But even the trains, and you know, it's like it's always like you, it's a little bit of a wake up call the first time you're on the subway, and I love it, you know, but. You know, the, the platform were delayed by ten minutes. It's like, oh boy, you know, uh, you get in Binghamton something that takes twenty minutes to get to feels like uh, a long time. But uh, it's nice to be able to. And I get back here pretty often in the off season. Obviously, it's a little different with uh, having done the MLB work here, so I stayed down a little bit longer. But um, no, I lo love Binghamton. It's an incredibly uh, supportive community. Um, and there's a lot going on with the, just with the, with the university, you know, I mean, Binghamton is like a top school. And one of the cool things that I've had the opportunity to do is to be an adjunct professor there in sports journalism. So, um, that sort of, that's another muscle that I really enjoyed. I couldn't do it because the MLB work this year, but in the last mm -hmm. couple of fall semesters, that's been a project, you know, that I sort of, tried to get off the ground because I had done a lot of mentoring work with Penn state. I thought, geez, maybe I could do this adjunct professor thing. And I got connected with the right people. And, you know, Binghamton doesn't have a big journalism program, mm -hmm. but there was certainly a lot of interest in sports just based on the population and Mets, you know, a lot of long Island, uh, you know, just around the state. We had some Albany people. Don't worry, Chris. Um, you know, the class was vetted. It was, uh, you know, uh, geographically, you know, we, we covered all parts of the Empire State. Uh, but um, I, I really enjoyed that because that was really fun to teach. And uh, my yeah. mother was a teacher for 30 years in Brooklyn doing resource room or special ed. Um, so, yeah, I'm just amazed by the, the university and the Rumble Ponies are, are a big fixture. Um, so, it's a very different setup than, you know, a New York City type setup. But but I think ex having experienced both uh, has, you know, has been very positive. Jacob, thank you so much uh, for for joining us uh, for for the Throwing Bagels podcast. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, I enjoyed it. Thank thank you guys, and uh, appreciate appreciate you having me on. And that was Binghamton Rumble Ponies play-by-play -play broadcaster, also MLB Network postseason for India play-by-play -play broadcaster, Jacob Wilkins. That was a lot of fun, guys. Yeah, that was yeah, a great, yeah. great interview. Um, I, I find it very interesting, the whole baseball broadcasting for India. I wish I would have heard it just I just just because yeah. I just want to I kind of want to understand a little bit better, like 
how in depth they had to go for it. You know, I mean, like obviously he said, like you said, they're not going super in depth, but you know, it you have to like explain it to them. I don't feel like a lot of people in India completely understand baseball. Oh, yeah, yeah. most most likely not. Most likely not. I remember years ago I was at a I was was it Chase Stadium? I think it was at Chase Stadium. And someone who clearly was not from this country turned around to me and said, what is, what is baseball? I'm like, oh, boy. <laughs> oh, that's a, that's a loaded question, my friend. You got three hours? Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> minimum, uh, at minimum? Like, where do you start? Like, where, uh, out, you have to talk about outs and bases. And balls and, like, and strikes. I, and ball, and, uh, I mean, just trying to explain it to, like, my kids is hard enough. Yeah, I can't imagine, like, you know you almost just have to like explain it as you go instead of yeah. telling people the rules yes. up front in a vacuum, just like, I think that's the approach that Jacob took and MLB took was just explain right. it as it happens yeah. um, and not get too worried about what the difference is between a, a fork ball and a splitter and <laughs> like, <laughs> oh but, no, let's, let's not get that nuanced. Yeah, so, no. you know. <laughs> I mean, it's funny, though, that they had a uh, catcher's interference because how often do you even see that in general? You know what I mean? Yeah. So to even to even have that happen during the broadcast is pretty funny because, you know, you could go you could you could go see like years worth of games and never had never right. run into a catcher's interference. Right. right. And, and your point was valid, yeah. too, Jay, that, uh, you know, maybe even the average baseball player here in the States probably has no idea that rule even exists. Yeah. It's at 100%. Like I could, hell, I could get, I could guarantee you there are people playing the game of baseball that it would happen. They'd be like, what, what what did I do? Huh? What? You know, like they wouldn't even understand. They didn't even realize that they did. They committed some sort of like an infraction, you know, cause, but that's a different story. So I know you're, we were talking a little bit uh, and this kind of plays into the, the blog I wrote last time uh, that's, we put it out last Monday about like who from New York is going to take home the next title. Right. And so Nobody. we're going on ever we're going on. Maybe the Rangers. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, they're off to a really good start. Really good but, start. But we look at, you know, it, it seemed when this, when the NFL season began, right. Okay. Let's think about this. When the NFL season before the season started, people were like, the Giants are going to be really good. The Jets are going to be really good. Super Bowl contenders, Aaron Rodgers. The Bills are going to be right there as well. Josh Allen, et cetera. Uh, so we could see maybe a Super Bowl champion come out of those three. And now that we're halfway through the season, holy cow. I don't know that it could have gotten any worse for any of oh, those It could have gotten even worse, but it, not much, but it could have gotten worse. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Giants stink. They're off. Offensive line stinks. They got a guy named DeVito playing quarterback. He's basically as tall as Danny. I mean, he may as well be Danny DeVito standing back there. Man, you got Zach Wilson quarterbacking the Jets because Aaron (laughs) Rodgers hurt him, hurt tore his Achilles within four plays. Not only, yeah, not only is he playing, Salah is saying he's playing really well right now. What are you watching? (laughs) That's nothing. I was listening to, uh, ESPN radio today and they were saying dead dead Rex Ryan on Rex Ryan man he's become a homer for the Jets let me tell you this guy is like Zach Wilson is doing very well and he is growing in the position I'm like growing in the position 
the guy can't the guy can't throw the ball five yards down the field without like literally thrown into the ground dude he has no instincts for the game of football whatsoever yeah it, like, he, what are it, you watching it, he just doesn't have it and, and you know i mean we can Shame, we can debate he's, he's he's got talent just yeah not, sure well you know now let, let's now let's say this like every nfl player that we talk about has ridiculous amounts of talent right it's right. just all perspective like he stinks as a quarterback for the NFL. Like, let's right. just plain and yeah. simple. He stinks. All right? be in the XFL you can debate, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. You can debate, you know, Daniel Jones, whether he not, he stinks or not like that. That's all still up for debate. And if you're still debating it now, it means you don't have a quarterback. You're right. I mean, I personally don't think Daniel Jones stinks. I think, I actually think if Daniel, if the giants had an offensive line that could literally protect any quarterback in history of football, whether it be Dan Marino or Joe Montana or Steve Young or any great quarterback, and you give the guy more than two seconds to throw a ball, you know, and not have someone bearing down on him and literally taking his neck off, uh, then I think Daniel Jones would be fine. The guy, the guy has a lot of talent. He can run. He can he can pass. He just has no time to literally snaps the ball, takes three steps, and he's done. That's it. Like you've got no place to go. It's okay, but when he know, has had the protection. He doesn't find the correct receiver. Like, that's the thing. Like, when Tyrod Taylor had, had that same time, he was finding the correct receiver. Right. No, I, I, he was I understand. He was throwing the what ball saying. down the field. He was throwing the ball. Right. Like, he had the vision. Obviously, he's a veteran. He had right. the vision mm. of the whole field. But Daniel Jones, what is he in his fifth year now? His fourth year, fifth year? Fifth year. He's a, he, this is his fifth year. He hasn't reached that yet. Like, right. but part of the part of the problem is he's also like, Yes, I agree with you, but at the same time, the guy has how many quarterback, how many, how many head coaches and offensive coordinators has he gone through? Right. This yeah. was going to be the year where sure. I finally have sure. some stability because I have the same head coach and the same offensive coordinator. And then he literally was under assault. Like literally, the cops should have just like arrested the Cowboys in week <laughs> one because they assaulted him. Like he had no chance to the ball. And then Dayball left him out there to get killed. Well, the guy, and then one of Jones's other <laughs> bad attributes is that he instead of stepping out of bounds he just he decides to be the tough yeah. guy and run through big guys i'm like dude just 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 live another day live another day man so here's here's my hot take on the daniel jones situation. Ooh, hot take okay i don't think dan i don't think Dayball likes him at all i think he's i think he's trying to kill him, he's trying to kill him? I, I, I why does he leave him out there I like what's the, what are you doing I have no idea why he leaves him out I'm, there. I'm but. Not, maybe there's a conspiracy. Just to listen, if he gets hurt, maybe we can tank the season. We'll get a top two quarterback, maybe. Just saying. I'm just listen, just a, a reckless speculation conspiracy theory. Uh well, ne- next time, um, next time you hear from us, it'll be after Thanksgiving. So we hope that you have a wonderful Thanksgiving with friends and family and Chris and, and Jason, same to you guys. Yeah, Please, you as well, guys. Same to you. Yeah. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving, and we will see you after that. Uh, so check us out online, throwingbagels.com. Uh, email us, throwingbagelspodcast.gmail.com. You can follow our social media uh, on our by visiting our website. Uh, and, you know, keep in touch. And um, we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Cheers, guys.